Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing? That was just incredible, okay? Come on. That was it. How are we doing? Yes, yes, yes. So that's what I want to see. We are in a series called 2020. And uh, this whole series has been based on what Jesus said in John 10.10 when he said, the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. See, Jesus said to us, he goes, I didn't come for you to have an ordinary life. I came for you to have an extraordinary life. But here's the thing. The choice is up to you. He said, the choice is yours, whether you live in an ordinary life or an extraordinary life. See, Jesus said that I have come that they may have life and life to the full. He says, I've done my part. I've done everything that I need to do so that you can have an extraordinary life. But whether you live that life or not, it's up to you. You ever thought about that? You ever thought that you are living the life that you choose to live? Let that sink in. Right now, you're living the life that you choose to live. See, the person who gets up every single day and says, I can live an extraordinary life, and the person that gets up every day and says, there is no way I can live an extraordinary life, they're both right, because you get to choose. See, you can't control what hand you were dealt in life. You can't control your past, you can't change your past. You can't control what this world throws at you. You can't control what Satan throws at you. But you can control how you respond to those things. And Jesus is saying, I've given you everything that you need to overcome anything that Satan throws at you so that you can live an extraordinary life. But the choice is yours. So why do so many people settle for ordinary? Why do so many Christians don't live the full life that Jesus came for them to have. You see, I think the reason why we don't is because we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are, right? We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And we see God by how we view our circumstances. That if my life is going great, God is great. If everything's happening, what I want, when I want, how I want, man, God, you are it. I'm praising God. I'm, I'm following God. I'm putting my trust in God. But the minute it starts to go south, the minute things aren't going the way we want, I'm not getting what I want, all of a sudden, uh, I'm starting to doubt you, God. I'm not sure you're really with me. In fact, I'm not even sure you exist. That's how Satan tries to kill, steal, and destroy He gets us to distort our view of God because he knows if we don't see God as he is, we will never see ourselves the way he sees us. And so we'll settle for ordinary. We won't live extraordinary lives. I I co-lead a a lead group uh, here at the Met with a good friend of mine, Ron Clegg. And Ron and Kathy have been at the church for a long time. In fact, they lead the life group that uh, my wife Cole and I are in. And uh, they're great people, and we've known them for a long time. Well, our wives, they started uh, uh, leading a lead group last year, and they were doing it again this year. And so they kind of 
looked at as kind of funny that we weren't stepping up to do it. So, so Ron and I said we were going to do a, a lead group this year. And if you're not familiar with lead, lead is a mentoring program that uh, Pastor Mary Walls, our community life pastor, started. And uh, it's a program that's designed to help us see ourselves the way God sees us so that we can have these full lives. We can have extraordinary lives. It's an incredible program, and we hope one day that everybody goes through this, but it's a big commitment. You got to commit to about a year of meeting together. You, you meet uh, every single month. You read a book a month. And one of the books that uh, we read was a book you might have heard us talk about before. It's called The Cure. And in The Cure, they asked this question. They said, what if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? What if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? And it talks about the lie that Satan, the, the lie that Satan is trying to get us to see God in a totally different way. Because Satan knows if we don't see God the way he is, then we'll give up. We'll settle. And it's till we stop believing that lie and we embrace who God is and we embrace who God says we are, we'll never have that productive life. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we can live extraordinary lives because we can see ourselves the way God sees us. And to do that, I want to tell you a story. A story, it's found in the Old Testament. It's uh, found in the book of Judges. And if you're not familiar with the book of Judges, it's a book of the Bible that actually records the, the ancient history of Israel from the time they settled in the promised land until before King Saul. So it's in that time period right there. Remember that the Israelites were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. And, and God says to Moses, you know, go get my people out. And so Moses gets them out of, of Egypt and he's marching them all the way to the promised land. And they get to the edge and they start looking in and they're going, mm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. There's some big scary people in there and I'm not liking it. So they don't listen to God. And they end up wandering for 40 years, wandering around. And then Moses is about to die. And before he dies, he passes leadership off to Joshua. And so it was Joshua who actually led them into the promised land, got them all settled. Well, then Joshua dies. And so the book of Judges records the next 300 years. The next 300 years, what happened to the nation of Israel when they were settled in there. Now, see, God designed Israel to be different than any other nation. He said, I want you to be a theocracy where I'm the king. God will be the king. God will set the laws to his people. And then what he's going to do is dispense the law through judges that he would raise up. That's how God designed it. Because see, God wanted all the other nations around to look at Israel and go, wow, y'all got it going on. And so they'd be asking, like, who's your God? Who's your God? Your God's better than our God. I mean, y'all have got so much more than us. I mean, look, your crops are growing. Ours are dying. That when we have all these battles, you seem to win and we seem to lose. So who's your God? And so the Israelites would go, well, we have the one true living God. See, God designed it that, that the nation of Israel is going to be a light to the Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, I just mean anybody who wasn't Jewish. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would come and ask them. they go, tell me a little bit more about your God. And so they would tell them, be able to tell them that who God is so that they would start following God as well. That's how God designed it. Unfortunately, when the Israelites got into the promised land, they did what most of us do. They got comfortable. They got comfortable. And instead of looking to God, they started looking around. Started looking around. They started looking at all the other nations. And they were going, ooh, I kind of like what they're doing. Oh, yeah, I like what they have. 
And God's going, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't be looking at that. Don't be looking at that. You don't need that. You don't want that. No, no, no. Because if you take that, if you start doing that, you're just going to be like everybody else. You're going to be like all the other nations. You're just going to be ordinary. And I want you to be extraordinary. But what does the nation do? They don't listen to God. And all of a sudden, they start bringing in all these foreign idols. They start, they start bringing in all of these foreign gods, and they start worshiping these other gods. And as you read the book of Judges, what you see is the nation of Israel goes through this cycle where they disobey God, they face disaster, and then there's deliverance. There's disobedience, there's disaster, there's deliverance. They disobey God, and God says, okay. If you disobey me, you're going to have to suffer the consequences, and I'm going to let you suffer that because I want you to know it's wrong, and I don't want you to do it again. I want you to learn your lesson. So they face this disaster. They get tired of it, and they turn back to God, and they go, God, God, save us, save us, get us out of this. And God go, have you learned your lesson? And they go, oh, yes, we have. Yes, we have. We will never do it again. We promise we'll never, never, ever, ever do it again. And God would deliver the nation, and they'd start that cycle all over again. And every single time he would deliver the nation, he'd raise up a judge to deliver them. And one of those judges was a guy by the name of Gideon. Gideon. And what's so fascinating about the story of Gideon is that when we first meet him, he's living an ordinary life. In fact, a lot of people might think he's living kind of a sub-ordinary life. He's just kind of getting by. And so God comes to Gideon, he's going, what are you doing? My hand is on you. My hand is on the nation of Israel. I didn't, I didn't um, have you here to be ordinary. You can be extraordinary. And what we see is the process that, that Gideon goes through to start seeing himself the way God sees him so that he can do something extraordinary. And I'm hoping that when you hear this story and you look at yourself, you can see yourself. And when you can start seeing how God sees you, you can live an extraordinary life as well. Now, I'm going to tell you the first part of this story. It's a fascinating story, but it's kind of long. So I challenge you to, to, to go home and read the rest of the story because it's got some great insight, great things for us. But I'm going to do the first part of this story, and it's found in Judges 6. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Judges, and we'll get into the story. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. They're in this cycle of disobedience, and now they're facing disaster. They're in this cycle, and now they're in the hands of the Midianites. Now, what's interesting, the Midianites are actually distant cousins of the Israelites. And these two have been going back and forth at it throughout all of history. And so at this time, because of their disobedience, God lets them, the Midianites have this upper hand. And what's really interesting is kind of a side note to what I'm talking about today, but I think it's something that should hit home with a lot of people, is what the disobedience was was the Israelites started bringing in the Midianite gods. They actually started bringing in the Midianite gods and started worshiping those gods. That's what the disobedience was. And what we learn from that is what you give into will eventually control you. What you give into will actually end up overrunning you. The sin that you give into in your life will eventually overcome you and overrule you. And that's why God says, stop looking at those things, keep looking at me. But that's what they did. They looked away from God, 
and now they're under control of the Midianites, and it's not good. It says, because of the power of the Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. They were kicked out of their cities, out of their homes. They were running for their lives. They had to run to the hills just to survive. I mean, this was really bad what they were going through. They were facing big-time disaster. This was what was happening. It says, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on their land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for the Israelites. They took everything away. They were just barely getting by. It says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Why is this human nature that the only time we turn to God is when there's nowhere else to turn? The only time that we cry out to God is when all of the other options are off the table. And that's what they're doing. There was, God was their last chance of what was going to, and they turned to him. And the crazy thing is they're turning to God to deliver him from something he told him not to do in the first place. Parents, you can relate to that, can't you? How many times have you told your kids, don't do this, they don't listen to you, they end up getting themselves in trouble, and then they come back to you to fix it? And you're going, if you'd have listened to me in the first place, we wouldn't be in this mess, right? We've all been there. Well, this is where God is. If you'd have just listened to me in the first place, you wouldn't be in this mess. But here's the thing. And if you don't hear anything else in this message this morning, make sure you hear this. That when the Israelite nation turned away from God, but then they knew their ways were wrong and they turned back to God, you know what God did? Turned back to them. That's God's love and mercy. That even though you've turned away, that when you turn back to him, he turns back to you. And you might be here this morning going, oh, well, I understand that, but I mean, I've been gone a long time. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what, 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 what I continue to do. I mean, how, how many times? How many, how many times is God going to turn? Is he going to keep turning back to me? I'm going to tell you this morning, as long as it takes, as long as it takes, that's how much God loves you and cares about you. That when you turn to him, he turns to you. Now, he's not going to shield you. He's not going to shield you from the consequences of your bad decisions because he does want you to understand that that's not a life that you need to be living. But when you turn back to him, he turns to you and he forgives you and he restores you. He forgives you and he restores you. And this is when we meet Gideon. And it says, the angel of the Lord, and this is the spokesperson for God, it said, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to, give it from, to keep it from the Midianites. So the first time we meet Gideon, he is scared to death. He's in hiding. He is hiding. He is so fearful of what the Midianites will do to him that he's, that he's gone basically underground. He's gotten away from um, to forever being seen. Because what you need to understand is you don't thresh wheat in a wine press, okay? That when you thresh wheat, you do it out in the open. You need to be out in the ground because you need the wind. They actually throw the wind up, it blows off the shaft, and then the good stuff falls down. That's how you thresh wheat. 
But he is so scared, he's so fearful that he's gone into hiding. He's gone underground. And it says this, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I think Gideon kind of chuckled a little bit. I was going, I think you're talking to the wrong person because I'm not a mighty warrior. In fact, I'm scared to death. I'm just trying to get by. See, Gideon, I think is where some of you might be this morning. Gideon didn't see himself the way God saw him. And that's why he was hiding. That's why he was desperate. And that's why he was trying to get by. And it continues, it says this. It says, Gideon answered, he says, pardon me, Lord. And basically, this is, to me, a polite way that he was saying, um, I'm kind of disagreeing with you, God, right now, because I know you think I'm a mighty warrior, but I'm not. He said, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We've all done this, right? We've all said that. Some of you might be saying it now. Why, God? Why? If, if you're so good, why this bad? If you're such a good God, why is all this bad happening to me? What's going on? I mean, I don't see why you haven't, you haven't fixed my marriage, why you haven't fixed my job, why you haven't fixed my health. God, what's going on? I don't know if that's where you are this morning. You're going, where are you, God? I keep hearing about you, but I'm not seeing you in my circumstance. And that's where he's at. He's seeing things as he is, not as they are. And he asks God, he says, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. He says, I grew up hearing all the stories. I grew up hearing about Father Abraham, how you, you lifted him up to make a great nation. I heard that. And then you delivered us out of Egypt and you provided food and water for us on the journey. You, you took care of us and then you gave us this land, put us in this promised land. But see, I don't know that God now because I don't see that God in my life. He's turned away. He's not seeing God for who he is. That's why he's not seeing himself the way God sees him. And that's why so many people are living ordinary lives. It's because they're not seeing God for who he is. And if you're asking that question this morning, God's not offended by that question. He wasn't offended by it when, when Gideon asked it 3,300 years ago. Because God knew one thing. He knew if you were asking the questions, at least you were having a dialogue with him that you were at least opening up a chance for him to reveal to you who he really is and what he can do in and through your life. And so what God does when he replies to Gideon, he says this, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God's saying, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. Go and change it. If you don't like the life that you're going through right now, change your situation. It's your choice. And I love this, and I'm gonna talk about it in just a minute, a little bit further, but he says, go in the strength you have. You know what God is telling each one of you with everything you're facing? He's saying, you're enough. 
You're enough to change your situation. And I'll show you why you're enough in just a second. And he says, am I not sending you? And Gideon answers, he says, pardon me, Lord. Again, I'm not trusting you. He says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now remember, Israel is made up of 12 tribes, and one of those tribes is Manasseh. And what happens is, he's saying that my clan in this is the weakest one. So you've got the wrong person. You've got the wrong person. Not only is my clan the weakest, I'm the weakest in my family. This is where Gideon's crying out, I don't see myself the way you see me. God, I'm stuck in my situation because I don't see myself the way you see me. How do you see you? How do you view yourself? You know how you view yourself? You view yourself by what other people have told you you are. That's it. What people have told you you are, that's how you see yourself. That's how Gideon got to that. How did he know he was from the weakest clan? People told him he was from the weakest clan. How did he know he was the weakest in the family? Because people told him he was the weakest in his family. We view ourselves by what other people around us tell us about ourselves. And my question for you this morning is, what if they're wrong? What if what everybody has been telling you about you is wrong? What if God sees you differently? That's what God was telling Gideon. I know you think you're weak. I know you think you can't get through this. I know you think you can't overcome that, but I see you differently. I see you differently. And then he tells him why he's enough. He said, the Lord answered him, I will be with you. He said, the reason why you can change your circumstance and the reason why you're enough is because I'm gonna be with you. I'm not asking you to do this on your own. I'm not asking you to fight this battle on your own. He's saying, I will be with you. That's why you're enough. That's why no matter what obstacle you face, no matter what you're going through in life, you are enough because God says, I will be with you. So the question God was actually asking Gideon was, are you with me? And that's what he's asking all of us. He's saying, Gideon, all I want you to do is live your life as a man who believes that I'm with him. If you live your life knowing that I am with you, you will do extraordinary things. And that's what he's saying to everybody in this room. All I'm asking you to do is live every single day knowing that I'm with you. Make every decision based on that I'm with you. Face every trial knowing that I'm with you. Face every circumstance knowing that I am with you. And if you can live every single day knowing that I'm with you, you can live an extraordinary life. That's what he's saying. See, he didn't tell Gideon that the reason why he's gonna win this battle is because he can turn him into Superman. It's gonna give him this extra strength to do whatever he wants. He didn't say that. He wouldn't give him an Iron Man suit to go down and mow down the army. He said, no. The reason why you're enough is because I'm with you. The question is, are you with me? Do you trust me? Apostle Paul, 
He, he said the same thing about 1,200 years later. He was talking to a bunch of, of Christians that were been persecuted in Nero's Rome. And he said, the reason why even what we're facing now won't defeat you is because if God is with us, who can be against us? When God is for you, he will see you through all things. And God is for you. That's how you see him. But the question every time is, are you with him? And you might be here this morning and go, well, you know, I understand that it's a great motivational speech, Rob. I really love it. I think it's great. But how do I know it works for me? How do I really know God is for me? Paul actually answered the question. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He said, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He said, the reason why you can know that God is for you is because 2,000 years ago, he gave his son for you. If you would wake up every single morning realizing that's how much God loves you, that's how much he's for you, it'll change the way you live that day because you know he's for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he values you. It's finance 101, people. The value of a thing is the price that it brings. Okay? The value of a thing is the price that it brings. You want to know how much something is valued? Put it on eBay. Put it on eBay. Whatever somebody pays for it, that's how much it's worth. And God said, I looked at each and every one of you, and I valued you so much that I gave the price of my son for you. That's how you know I'm for you. That's why you can live extraordinary lives. So see yourself the way I see you. There's three ways that God sees you. The first way is he sees you as his child. That when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you're his child. And I know Satan's gonna try to say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. He can disown you, he'll get rid of you. No, God said, no, you're my child. And nobody's gonna snatch you out of my hand. You're there. He says this in 1 John 3. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You're his. Not only are you his, you know what? He chose you. He chose you. Ephesians 1.4, it says that. It says that God chose you before the foundations of the world. Before he put this whole thing in place, he'd already picked you. He already knew all about you. He knew the life you were gonna live. He knew all your mistakes. He knew all the, the sin you would do, and he still picked you. He had plenty of time to change his mind, but he didn't. That's how valuable you are to him. You're his. You're his child. He saw your mistakes. It says this in Revelation 13. It says that, that Jesus was a lame slain before the foundation of the world. He already provided the solution for all of your mistakes by giving, him, giving us his son. He had it all worked out. You're his. Nobody's gonna take you away from him. Wake up every day knowing you're his child and he's your heavenly father. I'm a father and I'm telling you this, there's nothing that my kids could do that would make me stop loving them. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. And if that's me, just think about God. Just think of what he would do. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 7. He said this. He said this in Matthew 7. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? He said, you're, you, you're going to take care of your kids. 
You're gonna do what's best for them. He says, if you then, though you are evil, we're just human, he says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? He's saying, as long as you're with me, I'm gonna take care of you. Live your life knowing I'm with you and I'm not gonna let you fall, I'm not gonna let you fail. That's why you can have an extraordinary life. Second thing he sees you as, he sees you as changed. He sees you as changed. This is the biggest lie that Satan tries to throw at everybody out here. He says, you're not worthy of God's love. Here's a newsflash for you, you're not. Okay, get over it. All you people that are thinking, oh, I'm not worthy, you're not, but he loves you anyway. Accept it. That's his love for you. You don't have to be any more than what he told you to be. He loves you. But you're changed. He sees you differently. He doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. He sees you as a saint. It says that if anyone is in Christ, their new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You are totally different. You are not a saint. You are now a saint. Yeah, you're going to mess up sometimes. Yeah, you're going to sin sometimes. But you're not defined by your sin anymore. You're defined by your Savior. That's how he sees you. You've got to understand that. All of these things that Satan's trying to do is so that you will just be ordinary. Because he knows when you believe that you are who God says you are, you're going to make a difference in this world. That you will be the light to this world that that God wanted the nation of Israel to be from the very beginning. So that's why Satan's gonna keep trying to get you to just be ordinary, to give up. But see, God sees you as extraordinary. He sees you as changed. You're not bound by your past anymore. You know what sin is, basically? It's just going in the wrong direction. That's really this, it's this kind of stuff. God sets a mark and you miss the mark. You're going in the wrong way. Well, before you were changed, you had no control over this. Now it has no power. Now you can get up and get back in the right direction with God. You can turn back to God because you're his. That's all you're doing is turning back to God. Paul talks about it this way. He says this in Philippians 3. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul is somebody who totally turned. Because remember, if, if anybody had guilt, if anybody shame, if anybody who was unworthy, it was Paul. Before he became a Christ follower, what was he doing? He was persecuting and killing Christians. He was killing Christians, but God was saying to him, that's not you anymore. You're changed. Go in the direction I have you, and you're going to make a difference. And he did something extraordinary. He wrote over half the New Testament. He built churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. He brought more people to Christ than anybody. He lived an extraordinary life because he realized he's changed. You're changed. And finally, he sees you as a champion. He sees you as a champion. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is what I want you to understand. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're questioning God about. I don't know what you're dealing with. But what God is saying to you is that you don't need to fight for victory in your circumstances. You fight from victory because I've already given it to you. The victory is already yours. My son died for you and he rose again for you and you now have victory. And that's how you need to look at every situation in your life. 
Not something that you're fighting for, but something you're fighting from. You already have that. Just think about how your life would change if whatever you're worried about right now, you were sure that it was all gonna work out. Just think about how you might have had a better night's sleep that if what you're dealing with right now, you knew it was gonna work out. That's what God's saying. I've already given you the victory. All this worry that you have is something that Satan wants you to go through, but I've already given you the victory. God is with you. Deuteronomy 20. He says this. He says, the Lord, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. You are enough. If you live your life knowing that God is with you, you will live in victory and live an extraordinary life. That's what Gideon did. Gideon finally saw himself the way God saw him. And he said, if you're with me, I'll go fight. And what does he do? He defeats the Midianites and he delivers the Israelites. He does something extraordinary. And I'm telling you right now that this is 2020. And if you can see with 2020 how God sees you, that you're his child, that you're changed, that you're a champion, you're going to live an extraordinary life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful that you have provided the victory. Through all that we face, through all that we worry about, through all that we deal with, you've already given us the victory. And I know, God, that it's hard for us to see that at times. But God, when it's hard to do that, help us to realize that you're there. Help us to realize that you're there, you have a plan to see us through, that you have already given us a future and a hope. So no matter what the, the situation, no matter how hopeless, we can have hope because you were with us. And God, help us to live our lives knowing that you are with us. Help us to, to, to greet each day with the confidence and the courage that no matter what we face, you're gonna get us through. You're gonna see us through. And God, you know the people that are here this morning that are still trying to do this on their own. In fact, you've been talking to them through this whole service. That they've just been facing one disaster after another and they've just trying to get themselves out of it. And they've settled for ordinary. And you've been telling them, turn to me. If you turn to me, I'll turn to you. And for those of you that have never turned at all, God is waiting for you to make that turn. He's saying, open up your heart to me right now because I'm with you. I want to see you through all things. Just right where you're sitting, you say, God, I'm tired of what I'm dealing with. I'm tired of going this alone. I'm tired of trying to figure everything out. And I finally understand just how much you love me. 
I finally understand that you love me so much you sent your son to die on the cross for me. You chose me. And so, God, I choose you. I believe Jesus died and he rose again. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. If you did that, if you said that, you believe that, God's with you. And he's gonna see you through all things. And today, you start walking with him. God, as we leave this place, help us all to walk with you. To stop looking around and keep looking at you. Because you're the one who gets us through all things. God, we just love you, we thank you, and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision this morning or you have anybody, any prayer need you need, we've got prayer people that would love to pray with you, and so feel free to come forward and let somebody know you've done this. But more importantly, go out knowing that you're his child, you're changed, and you're a champion because God's with you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.